welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. from the uh, book of Isaiah, or Isaiah, for Luke's benefit, because he's just flown in from Texas, and, um, and if I referred to Habakkuk, I'd have to make that Habakkuk, because I remember a pastor from Texas talking about Habakkuk. Um, praise God. In fact, if it helps, I could put on a pathetic uh, Texan accent. Well, is that going to make it for the, yeah, you like that? Yeah, no, you don't want that. Now, um, I'm going to read, but before I do, just by way of background, you probably know Isaiah was a prophet, lived in Israel about 700 years before Jesus came, probably lived in Jerusalem, and uh, he wrote prophecies. And we've got a book with his name on it that is almost exclusively prophecy, in other words, foretelling the future, but also, it's actually two main themes in his book, a warning to the people of Israel at that time about their continual disobedience to God's ways and the consequences they'd suffer, specifically that they would be overrun by foreign powers. And it had already started to happen because the northern tribes of Israel, there were 12 tribes and the 10 northern ones, which became known as Israel, they had already been attacked by the Assyrians and taken off into captivity. He's down in the south in Jerusalem with the tribe of Judah and Benjamin got melted into that so they're known as Judah and he's saying guys be careful listen obey stop going the wrong way you know and then sure enough uh, even in his lifetime the um the the Babylonians then came to invade the south so there's warnings um and then there's also uh foretelling about the messiah because through all the strife and the disobedience and the rebellion and the consequences that the nation of Israel had suffered in the Old Testament, there was always this hope, this promise of the one that God was going to send, the anointed one, the Messiah. And of course, as you probably know, the word Christ is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, meaning the anointed one. And so the passage we're going to read covers both these themes. It begins with a warning or it picks up from a warning that he's been giving about disobedience. And then it goes on to the promise. And we're reading from Isaiah 8, verse 20. And he says, um, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Well, we've seen that in history, not just for those people at that time, but we see it in the world today, don't we? People in all kinds of dire uh, situations, enraged against God when they shouldn't be and even then looking down at earth and finding only distress, destruction and darkness. Nevertheless, Chapter 9, verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So they're two of the northern tribes of the 12 tribes. So he's referring to the fact that already been 
uh, ransacked by the Assyrians. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations. So Galilee is a region up in that northern area near the other two, where the other two tribes have lived. So in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. <laughs> now we have the benefit of knowing what Isaiah or who Isaiah is talking about. Uh, because here amongst the gloom of human existence and the darkness and the distress that they had faced, a light was going to come. He's going to come and shine and that is the Messiah and we know he's Jesus. And in fact, Jesus did come from the region of Galilee. Nazareth is a city in Galilee and you can still go there today and that's where he began and did a lot of his ministry in that area of Galilee. And then if you go down to verse 6, we get to this famous passage and it says... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice in this translation there's no comma between Wonderful and Counselor, but many others have separated those so that there's actually five titles. We'll come back to that. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. <laughs> so what a fantastic passage. And, um, and notice a few things. Isaiah actually prophesies that the, Messiah, that the Messiah would be born as a baby, which again, we can easily go back and reflect and interpret and say, oh yeah, we get that. But that was not something you would normally expect. If you're thinking of some anointed one coming from heaven, you would assume, as they did, that it'll come in glory and power and not as he did as a baby. Also notice that he prophesies he would reign on David's throne, which again is a little unusual because if he's coming from heaven, how can he be connected to the lineage of David? As good a king as he was, he was an earthly king. But we know when you read Matthew and Luke at the beginning those gospel accounts have the genealogy of Jesus that refers to his lineage from an earthly perspective. We know Jesus comes from heaven, he's 100% God, but he's also got a natural father in Joseph who comes from the Davidic line. And I can't remember which, I think Matthew records Joseph's line and Mary is recorded in the line that Luke records also, which is extraordinary and wonderful and a fulfillment of this prophecy that he would come from David's throne and sit on that throne and make it an everlasting kingdom and notice that the kingdom is going to be everlasting it's going to be the greatest rule the world has ever seen and it's going to last forever and this is one of the challenges that the people of Israel had when Jesus came because they had read these kind of prophecies and they were thinking, yes, bring it on, Lord. And they were suffering under the Roman oppression at the time of Jesus, as you know. They got this foreign power controlling them, ripping them off with taxes and their oppressive military conquer the world style of government. And then Jesus comes, they're assuming when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with military might political sway, some kind of position that will shove Caesar to one side and he doesn't come like that at all. <laughs> and they're like, well, this can't be the Messiah because he's not coming in the way we want. Don't we get into trouble when we expect God to act a certain way? God, this is my prayer list. 
go for go for it. Thank you. Amen. You know, and then you can ask God whatever you like, but you won't always get what you want. He'll give you what you need, and that isn't always the same thing. And so we've got to respect the sovereignty of God. Amen. <laughs> and um, and so people came uh, when when Jesus came. Uh, you know, they wanted him to rule in this geopolitical sense. They wanted him to come and smash the Romans, take over, set up a, a kingdom that they were expecting in a natural sense. But of course, his kingdom is spiritual, eternal, ruling in the human heart, not just a little piece of earth for a little period of time in history. And then let's look at verse 6 again. Just let's see that up. You can leave that up. Uh, let's just leave that up for the whole service because that's what I want to look at. Uh, um, just go back. That's verse 7. Let's go back to verse 6. There it is. Uh, look at that second part of verse 6. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, of course, that's a famous passage, but made all the more famous uh, by George Handel. And if you're you know, aware of your music, you've probably heard, even if you're not, you've probably heard the Messiah, as that musical piece is, is uh, called. And you're probably all starting to say, would you like me to give you a rendition? No, no, you don't want me to try and launch into Handel's Messiah. But, um, and I don't want anyone else to, I heard a couple of offers down there, but you can forget it. But yes, perhaps, okay, next year, the choir. Linda, let's just take a moment, please, also. Linda's coming a little understated this morning. Would you mind standing up and showing us your... This outfit, she's telling me, is what she wore exactly 30 years ago, almost to the day, on her Bible college graduation. So she's rocking the 80s bling style, and it's, it's coming back. Sure, sure, you're a fashion. All right, back to the Bible. Um, so, um, look, the, the George Handel thing, can I just take a little moment? Uh, it's a great story in itself. You know, this guy was a, a composer, and he had had a series of failed compositions. And so he got to the point where he was terribly in debt to the point that he was going to be facing debtor's prison because that's – you didn't just declare bankruptcy in those days and get another go. You'd go to jail and uh, pay your debts that way. And he was really facing that down. Oh, and he was – get this – 56 years old. Imagine being that old. <laughs> It's a convenient, a coincidental number for me at the moment. But he, um, he at that age, thought, well, best days are gone. I've got no more creative juice. I'm going to jail. I'm all washed up. Uh, and then out of the blue, he got a commission to write another piece of music. He sat down and they say that he uh, worked furiously for 24 days straight his servants who came to give him food said he often pushed it to one side. He hardly slept. He was in the zone, as they say. And he ended up, after uh, three and a bit weeks, producing 260 pages of famous music that it was, of course, the Messiah, one of the most uplifting, amazing, famous pieces of music we've ever had. And the rest, as they say, is history because he prospered again and he ended up dying at the ripe old age of 74, which is a pretty good innings in the mid-1700s. Uh, and, and get this, when he died, he was given a state funeral and he's buried in Westminster Abbey. So that was a good turnaround because he was German, but he was living in England. And, and But this is my point I wanted to make. It's well reported that when he was writing the Messiah, uh, 
because of the words that he was contemplating, this passage and others, when he was reading them and putting them into his musical score, his servants would often come in and find him in tears as he was composing. And when he completed it, he said to his servant these words, I think I saw all heaven before me and the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. I reckon that's just powerful. That's a download he got from heaven to... You know, and no wonder the hair stands on the back of your neck when you hear that sung, you know, well, even if it is the Mormons, because um, they're famous for their choir. Um, it's just a light joke. You may pretend to laugh. Okay. Um, so we'll go to these titles. These five titles for Jesus, and I just wanted to touch on them and just see what they reveal about the nature of Jesus, because, you know, Christmas, as Ruth was saying, there's a bit of a fight for Christmas. Even for Christians, we can just be caught up with the busyness. It's the end of the year work-wise and you're getting presents and festivities and then there's a lot of pain for some people and, and, uh, and struggle because of family issues and there's a lot of push to not even use the word Christ in Christmas. Uh, we got roasted once by putting it out in the paper and the newspaper had put X instead of Christ. Uh, and I got letters and phone calls, but it wasn't our call. It was like, it's okay, there's still Christ in Christmas. At our, you know, and then there's, you know, let's say seasons, greetings and happy holidays, but don't use the Christmas word and nativity scenes are banned in some areas. And, all. and so there's a, there's a fight for Christmas just to, to be celebrated. And there's also then an appreciation of who it's really about. And that we're not just making political statements, but we are focusing on the Lord. And who is he? Well, look at that first title. He's wonderful. Wonderful. He's full of wonder. And so when you describe and proclaim Jesus as wonderful, you're saying he's awesome in the truest sense of the word. Because everything seems to be awesome these days, you know. Well, that's sushi. That's awesome. Well, it's just a bit of food, you know. But, but Jesus truly is awesome. He's out of this world. He's beyond normal. He's amazing. He's astonishing. In fact, the Hebrew word can also be translated into English as miracle. He's a miracle. He's a miracle working God. And that's exactly what he did. When he did come, he came with miracles. He performed miracles, signs, wonders. And, and he did that because it's in him. He's got the miracle ability and persuasion and willingness and it just oozes out of him naturally to produce miracles. And, and that's something that we, we look for. We, we feel there's a beat in the human heart that says there's got to be something more than just me battling with these decisions. There's got to be eternity he's placed in the hearts of man, the Bible says. There's something. Do you remember um, Family Fun Day? I guess it was Aaron's idea. The theme was... Um, Superheroes this year. Remember that? How much fun was that? Didn't Dale? Were you in the, your Superman outfit? Yes. Yeah. And he's got the body. One of the guys who can really fill out that Superman outfit looked fantastic. Um, and so we're all running around with our superhero costumes, and um, and that was a lot of fun. And we talked about it uh, because there's a lot of movies that particularly that appeal to this desire for. The fantasy of, yeah, there's someone out there with powers beyond the norm that can come and defeat evil and help people and set us free and solve the problems and bash up the bad guys. And that's the movies. 
But the reality is Jesus really is a superhero. He is a real, actual, superhuman, super being, intergalactic, travelling, you know, all that. He really has come from another planet to help us. He's come from another, well, from heaven. You know, he's come to defeat the enemy. He's come to set us free, to assist us and, and give us the opportunity to live forever. That's wonderful, you'd agree. And so, um, so we celebrate, we appreciate that. Look at the next word. He's a counsellor. And so counsel, of course, can imply um, wisdom and advice and uh, assistance to make good decisions. And that's what Jesus did. He came and we see his life and his teaching revealing the wisdom of God. And now today we have the Bible recording that. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church that Jesus places us in. And uh, we are in his family. And so we've got ways that we can pick up on the counsel of God, the ideas, the, the, the direction uh, that God can give us so we can f- follow him and follow what he says, listen in to what he's uh, advising us with. And, um, you know, when you look at human history, you see Christian people getting some, sometimes some miraculous advice from God, some uh, Inventors sometimes credit God correctly with the idea that they they got. Um, for example, I read about um, a guy uh, in the mid eighteen hundreds in England, James Simpson. At the time, imagine imagine going to get an operation without any anaesthetic, and people, you know, were just swigging a bit of whiskey and coping as best they could back in the day, um, and that's just what you had to up with and this guy in the mid 1800s he was a christian and he was reading the bible and he read in genesis 2 21 one day where it says the lord god caused a deep sleep to come upon adam and then of course you know the operation is god takes the rib out of adam and produces eve and um, he read that and he thought because he had seen the pain and suffering of people in surgery and he thought we've got to um, help people better so he came up uh, with artificial sleep as he called it because he wanted to use chloroform he got a hold of chloroform tried it on himself it came to thought yeah that works survived um it's a bit dodgy in the early days had some problems um uh and he faced a lot of opposition uh and some people thought it was sinful to interfere with nature by putting people to sleep so then he had to push hard he wrote pamphlets and letters quoting the bible quoting that passage saying look if god's done it already so we should have a go knock them down knock them out ask the patient what do you want you want to get cut open with or without chloroform and so he had a lot of opposition but the tide turned when get this none other than queen victoria herself used chloroform when she gave birth to her eighth child so she probably thought after seven what's this stuff chloroform hit me what do you got i know how tough this gig is yeah i'll have some of that and then um and then get this she famously declared with royal language, she was greatly pleased with the effect. <laughs> Just love that British understated, you know? That's as, that's as what, imagine, that's not how Donald Trump would have put it. Um, but, um, uh, and so, uh, look, better anaesthetics were developed um, after uh, chloroform. Um, uh, but at the time, that was just the idea that God 
gave him from being a believer and following the Lord and it helped uh, and then as I said there were improvements but there's a lot of you know a lot of inventors you read about Samuel Morse Morse code um, Pasteur uh, Mr. Braille, they, uh, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but I know those ones are all committed Christians, all giving credit to God for brilliant, incredible life history changing ideas that they got because of the counsel, the wisdom that comes from God. So God will give you creative ideas, this great counsellor for your life, for your career, for your calling. But also a, a counsellor also brings comfort. And this is this other aspect when people have times of trouble, sickness, sometimes the loss, tragic loss of family or in the fire situation, loss of property, uh, a lot of fear and worry and stress. And in every situation, in every time of crisis or distress, Jesus is the counsellor. He's there with his presence, with his peace with his comfort and if you put those two words together like I said as some translations do if they make wonderful the adjective then he very much is a wonderful counsellor he's all you need he's the one we need to go to yeah and so many people are going to all kinds of places and people and not to say that professional uh, experts aren't helpful um, but Jesus is the greatest counsellor and number three he's mighty God look I mean, we know when you read the Gospels how he revealed the power. He displayed the might and the power of God when he spoke to the storms and they obeyed straight away and calmed down. He cast out demons and raised the dead and healed the sick. And how about when he proclaimed forgiveness? <laughs> I love that story. He proclaims forgiveness to someone. Your sins are healed. Your sins are forgiven. And of course, the religious folks say, well, hang on a minute. That's terrible. Who can forgive sins but God? She's like, Exactly. Hello. Here I am. I think that's awesome. That's the power of God right there. And of course, he rose from the dead. Uh, and so his power uh, was displayed. He's still there. Um, in fact, the Hebrew word for that phrase, mighty God, can also be translated as a warrior or a champion. And Jesus is happy to go into the battle with us and display his might and help us defeat enemies and things that come against us in life. We can rise, we can press through, we can go through the valley and end up being victorious. Amen? If we hold on to Jesus and he is there as our great superhero, as I said, facing and fighting and winning in every battle that we face with him. And then number four, everlasting father. Well, that's an intriguing statement for the Messiah, for the Son of God, because he's known not so much as the Father normally as the Son of God, but really that touches on the Trinity, doesn't it? Because as much as we try to understand it and compartmentalise God is three, he's the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, but we're also told that he is one. And so they are shared attributes in the Godhead. Uh, and as Jesus proved when he was on the cross, what he did there was to bring to us everything that an everlasting or a perfect father would bring. So he provides this ability for us to be adopted into a family because a great father has got room for children in their life and maybe an adoption of a child. And of course, our perfect heavenly father says, I'll have as many as will decide to come into my family. And then of course, Jesus provided for us. He protects us. He guides us, like I said. This is like a father. And he will discipline us like a good father. Where are my children? Aren't you glad? 
discipline. I love what Tony said, one of the most famous lines we've ever heard in the history of our church. We celebrated 25 years in September and there were just some classic lines, some classic moments like I remember when Adam was at the altar call praying and Ruth was praying, what can I pray for? And the guy said, I want a beer. I just want a beer. She thought, this guy really needs to get to AA as well as getting prayer right now. Flip, that's what he, I want to, all right, I'm praying. She's thinking of it. And he was saying, I just want to be here. He just wanted to be, because he was moving from another town. He lived, I just want to be here. But he was tearful. And, and um, but, but I, but I really wanted to mention Tony's one, which was, um, what is the secret to great parenting? Love and discipline. Tony provided the love, I provided the discipline. <laughs> I just thought, that is so good. And look, his children have survived. Mitchell smiles, nodding, probably going, yeah, you bet. Not very PC these days, but, you know, there it was. But anyway, the Lord will discipline us sometimes like a perfect, wonderful father with love. And, um, and, and you know, Jesus carries this into our lives, you know, because um, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's also the spirit of the father, the perfect father saying, I'll stand by you. And when we read Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, the son can wander like we can walk from God through our sin. But if we ever turn, we just come back home. Where is the father in that story? Looking out and waiting and then welcoming the son home with loving arms. And that's the perfect, everlasting, ever-loving Father. And then finally, number five, he's the Prince of Peace. Oh, come on, isn't this what the world needs? You know, really, all the strife, the fighting, the angst, the wars that go on, you know, it all stems from one thing. Sin inside the human heart. And so governments and organisations and, and, you know, philanthropic, generous-minded, rich people, they all do their bit, but it, it doesn't matter what the policy that's employed or the money that's invested, the problems in the world are essentially the problems in the heart. And that's only solved by having the Prince of Peace to come into that heart. And uh, the Bible says, you know, we can be healed, we can be delivered from the effects and the power of sin. So when Jesus comes, he... We have the peace of God. We, well, we have peace with God, number one. And then we have the peace of God or the peace from God that we then get to share with other people. We can influence the world with peace where there's conflict. We can, we can bring that into relationships. So easy for relationships to have angst and anger and strife and conflict. And that's part of life. But the peace of God comes. Beyond our understanding, the Bible promises, guarding hearts, just wonderful, divine peace. Because here, one more Hebrew word, you'll recognize this one, prince of the Hebrew word, shalom. And, you know, that's such a powerful word in their language because it doesn't just mean the avoidance of conflict. We think peace, okay, opposite of war, stop fighting, peace, like the dogs, Hudson and Allah have arrived with their dog. This, I thought my dog was big. I've got a golden retriever. They've got this bear. It's, it's, a, it's a German bear shepherd. It's like, a, it's like Chewbacca. In fact, it, honestly, it's like you look at him, you think, I'm in Star Wars. I'm in the movie. He's still, he doesn't make the sound, but he, it's just this great big fluffy, wild, tough thing. And he's very gentle, except they start playing. And these two dogs, they're both males, you know, 
And it's like, settle, settle. All right, boys. And they're rearing up. I'm doing stretching in the backyard. And, and I'm lying on the back, right? And they start playing. And the next thing, one just rears like a horse, like, ah, is landing on me. Get off me. So then you push them away. And then they carry on around the backyard. It's like, and I feel like some crabby old mother saying, it, it's all fun and games till it's going to end in tears. You know, I'm saying that to my dogs, you know? looking around thinking I'll make sure because they start racing and then Max the gold the German shepherd starts attacking our sweet poor little puppy you know and he's on top of him and uh, he's the alpha male and he chases him up the backyard son he smashes into a tree stump like what and it's all going on and why am I saying that peace oh yeah I'm like peace be still I'm trying to proclaim I'm practicing be, you know, I'm trying to proclaim peace, you know. And then they do sort of calm down finally. But, okay, back to the Bible. The peace of, the, the shalom doesn't just mean not fighting. As you've probably heard and read, it can be translated into English as healthy, prosperity, happiness, safety, well-being. This is an all-consuming, wonderful heart, condition that Jesus comes to rule over our lives with as the Prince of Peace, as the the King of our hearts, the Lord and leader of our lives, he can come with these qualities so that we can have that in our hearts. And again, that we can carry that to the world around us. That's the message of Christmas. Yeah, That's who we worship. That's the baby who grew up to become our saviour, wonderful counsellor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, let's remember, appreciate, celebrate and declare those titles, those names of Jesus in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net